Today I am very excited because uh, we're, we're getting into two things that I really love, two of my favourite things. And, and the first of those is Christmas. Uh, I've always loved Christmas. Uh, I love uh, putting up the tree. We did that this week in our home. Uh, as I came to Christ at 17, it brought on a new meaning. I, I learned the true meaning of Christmas. Uh, this is an awesome opportunity to invite our family, our friends, our neighbours, our colleagues. I'd, I'd encourage you to do that. But in recent years, even as I'd found a great opportunity to invite others, in recent years I've really come to appreciate Christmas, not just as a great opportunity to tell the world about Jesus, but an opportunity for, for me to rest in Jesus, to rejoice in him. I would encourage you, as uh, so we, we come to Christmas, use this opportunity to invite others to share the good news. It also use it to rest in the good news, to know that God has come near. I, I really love Christmas. I hope we'll be able to share in that in, in these coming weeks. But the other thing I really love is theology. Uh, I really love theology and especially the idea of union with Christ. You see, I was amazed when I became a Christian 21 years ago that Jesus died for me, that Jesus lives for me, that I could have salvation because of Jesus. But something that's grown ever since then is for me realizing that Jesus didn't just die for me 2,000 years ago. Jesus doesn't just send me a gift from afar, like in the post. That because Jesus lived for me and died for me and rose for me, that I can be one with him. Like we're celebrating even upcoming marriages today, that Christ has come so that we can be united with him. Like he is the vine and we're branches. Like he is our heavenly husband. I love union with Christ. And I hope that in these coming few weeks, we'll be able to share in both of those, because we're, we're bringing together Christmas and union with Christ uh, as we, we unwrap union with Christ these next few weeks. Uh, so, so today, we'll be considering uh, how Jesus became one of us uh, so that we could be one with him. Uh, we'll take a break next week for something else, but then we'll, we'll come back to consider how we are then share, share with Christ and how we share all spiritual gifts with Christ. I, I hope you're excited by that, even if you're trying to still figure out what is this union with Christ thing. Uh, but trust me, it's going to be worth it because there is such hope, such joy found uh, in knowing that Jesus came so that we could be one with him. Uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that Jesus came for us. Uh, thank you that we can celebrate that together today. Uh, we pray that as we look to your word today, that you would show us wonderful things, uh, that in you uh, we would find hope. It is in Jesus' good and great name that we pray. Amen. As we celebrate Christmas, we remember uh, that God came near. As we celebrate Christmas, we will remember that 2,000 years ago, our God visited us. Yet there are different kinds of visits, and I want us to think about that. Uh, over the last 50 years or so, 
Uh, the Queen visited Australia several times. And every time a royal visit was coming up, there would be a lot of excitement. It's a huge privilege that someone would, would travel a long way and, and visit. Uh, people would prepare, people would paint the front of their, their houses, their shops to make it look good. And then, and then the, the Queen would come, there would be great celebration, great fanfare. And then the Queen would go, uh, go back home and would be left with memories. Thankful memories. Wow, the Queen visited this place. It would have photos, would have plaques saying the Queen opened this hospital. And we would remember with thanks. And as we come to Christmas, we remember with thanks. A group from GTS has just been to Israel. They've seen the very land where Jesus came, the land where Jesus walked and wept. And it's incredibly humbling to think that God has come near, that God visited us. Yet there's even more to it. There's another royal visit uh, that happened in Australia in the year 2000 that's less well-known. And that's when Prince Frederick of Denmark visited. It was much less fuss than when the Queen of England visited. A lot of people didn't know he was there. He could go out in many places and they wouldn't recognise him. But for one person, Prince Frederick's visit had a lasting impact, a greater impact than some photos or a plaque. Because one day in a restaurant, Prince Frederick met a young Australian woman named Mary. And they started talking and they kept talking and eventually... Well, Mary, this young Aussie girl, became Princess Mary of Denmark. This visit had lasting impact because, well, he didn't just visit and leave a memory. He came, and at least for one person, well, they were united. Their lives were forever brought together. Their futures were forever brought together. And as we consider... Christmas this year, I want us to see that Jesus didn't just leave us with a memory, thankful that God visited us. He did. But Jesus came, Jesus became one of us uh, so that he could be one with us. Jesus became one of us so that he could be one with us. So that like in a marriage, we could be brought together with him that he could take all of our burdens and make them his own, and that he could take all of his riches and make them our own. Jesus became one of us to be one with us. We'll see that in three ways in today's passage. We'll see that Jesus shared in our flesh to be one with us. We'll see that he shared in our death to deliver us from the devil. And third, we'll see that he shared in our weakness to help us when tempted. First, he shared in our flesh to be one with us. Because Jesus became one of us, human in every way. God has given us a whole new way of being human by being united with Christ. Verse 14, we're told, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. Jesus really became one of us. 
In verse 17, we're told Jesus had to be made like his brothers in every respect. At Christmas, we celebrate that though Jesus was fully God, it existed for all of eternity, God the Son and the presence of the Father and the Spirit, that he became truly human. The one who was fully God and fully man. Jesus' humanity wasn't an act, it wasn't a mask. He shared in our flesh and blood. Uh, He was made like us in every respect. Jesus wasn't divided, sort of 50% God, 50% man, sort of God-like on some days and more man-like on other days. Jesus was fully God, 100% God and fully man, 100% man. And while he remained fully God, he was a man who was born and ate and slept, who laughed and cried. Jesus became a man who needed to trust his heavenly Father and pray and obey. Now, this alone is incredible, uh, that God took on flesh, uh, which, because that means that God values flesh and blood. God, God values us and our world. And flesh and blood can even be holy. We can divide life sometimes into spiritual, holy things like prayer, angels, spirits, and then kind of dirty, worldly things like flesh and blood and earaches and crying babies. But when God became flesh, he showed us that flesh matters to him. Now, the flesh can even be holy. When the word became flesh, he affirmed our bodies as good. He affirmed our world as good. We'll think more about that later. When Jesus became flesh, he also was showing us that we had a problem, that we needed help because our good humanity, our good world uh, is in trouble. God became a man to help Man, he needed to be fully human to help humanity. And we're told in verse 16 that as he became like us in every respect, it's to help us. It's surely not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. He came for us. Now, for relationships to go well, we know we need both parts, to, both sides to do their part. For a work relationship to go well, well, the boss needs to kind of play their role and the employee needs to play their role. For a marriage to go well, the husband and the wife both need to do their bit. In the same way, our relationship with God takes two. A God who creates and sustains and a people made to worship. A God who rules over creation and a people who are to rule over that creation under him. A God who makes promises, a people who are to trust those promises. A God who gives commands and people who are to obey. A God who loves and a people who are to love God and others in return. And in this relationship, God's always been faithful. He's always been good. He always does what is right. But there was never a faithful people. Adam and Eve failed in their response to God. Abraham and his family fell short in their response to God. The nation of Israel fell short. Every one of us falls short. 
holding up this relationship between us and God. So when God became a man, he was entering to help us. God had done his part as God, yet God also needed to do our part as humanity. He needed to help us because we couldn't help ourselves. We needed more than a teacher. And we needed more than clear instructions. We needed to God, God to become man, uh, to live as we should have. We needed someone who lived the perfect life we were meant to live. We needed someone who would love God and neighbours as we were meant to. We needed someone who would obey the Father as we were meant to, who would pay the debt that we've built up. Someone who would die the death that we deserved. As Jesus became truly human, Jesus was able to live the life we were meant to live. He He came to help us to restore our broken relationship with God. And Jesus did this so that we could be in Christ instead of in Adam. I wonder if there are a certain sports team uh, that represents the, the town or the city you grew up in, uh, so that when that sports team loses, people will come up to you the next morning and say, I'm sorry you lost. Or if they win, they say, congratulations. And it's kind of strange because, well, actually, all you did was sit on the couch and watch the TV or not even know about it. I often get embarrassed here when people say, congratulations for the Australian cricket team, because I'm not good at following them. But we know you, you might have a certain team that you're used to people kind of identifying with you, because to be from your town means that well, when your, your team wins, you win, and when your team loses, you lose. Well, a few years ago, um, in, in my hometown, uh, Sydney, uh, there'd been for a long time one, one team, one Australian rules football team, the Sydney Swans. And sadly, they had more losses than wins, a lot more losses than wins. So people would often say, I'm so sorry you got beaten. I'm so sorry uh, you're losing. But then a second Sydney team began. It was now the, the Sydney Swans and the Sydney Giants. So you could no longer assume that being from Sydney meant that I was with the Swans. Now I could either be from Sydney and a follower of the Swans or the Giants. A loss for the Swans no longer meant a loss for me. And there'd been quite a few losses. Uh, There was another option because you could no longer assume I belonged to the Swans. Well, before Jesus, there were some assumptions you could make about being human. If you're inhuman, if you're human, you're in Adam, subject to sin, condemnation, death, all these things that came into the world through him. Look at some of the words that describe humanity in, in this passage. Words like death, temptation, slavery, fear. Before Jesus, to be human was to be in Adam. You couldn't separate being human from being sinful, condemned, and subject to death. But because Jesus became human, because he shared in our flesh, he opens a new option. Now being human doesn't necessarily mean that you're in Adam. Uh, it, It means that you can be in Adam or you can be in Christ. We still live in a broken world. We're still descended from Adam. 
Uh, but now we can really be in Team Jesus instead of Team Adam. Uh, we can be, though we were born into Adam's family, we can be adopted into Jesus' family. Uh, Romans talks about this in chapter 5. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. And it continues in verse 17. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, Adam, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace, the free gift of righteousness, reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Before Jesus, to be human was to be in Adam, sharing in his sin, his condemnation and his death. But Jesus came as a new man to obey where Adam disobeyed, to love God where Adam had fled from God. And now by faith it's possible to be united to Jesus so we can be human, yet not in Adam, but in Christ. We can be in Christ's family, which instead of sin, condemnation and death, means righteousness, justification, and life, eternal life. So Jesus shared our flesh to be one with us. Jesus became like us in every way. He did this to give us hope. He became one of us so that we might become one with him. Uh, he did this by obeying perfectly. Yet our passage said, actually, he became human, not just so that he could obey, but Jesus became one of us so that we could die, so that he could die. Our second big point, we see that Jesus shared in our death to deliver us from the devil. Verse 14, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who hath the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Again, this describes our world, doesn't it? Uh, we are a people, humanity. Uh, in slavery, we see darkness around us. We see fear of death. We see distance from God. Yet we're told Jesus came. He became one of us to rescue us. But when there's a rescue mission, what's that going to take? Normally, if someone's sent on a rescue mission, a pretty key part is not getting trapped yourself. Yet we see that as Jesus came to rescue us, as Jesus came to save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray, so I'm sure we'll sing in the coming weeks. Well, to do that, to save us all, Jesus needed to die. And he died because, well, that's how 
the devil could be defeated and disarmed. You, you can defeat someone by disarming them, by taking away their weapon. An enemy can become, which has once been terrifying and dangerous, can become passive. You can take away their main weapon. We need to ask, well, if Satan has power in our world, what was that power? What was his great weapon? Because if it was a contest of just power between Satan and God, there's no question, is there? Our God is the creator of all. He's in charge. There's no contest in terms of who's more powerful. If Satan had one weapon that that actually could cause harm, one weapon by which he could really hold hold us in in terror, lips guilt. Satan is the accuser. If there's one thing Satan could do, he, he can't challenge God for power, but he could say, he could point at us and say, well, you're a sinner. And God needs to judge sinners, doesn't he? He he can look at us and and try to tell us that we are guilty. Uh, We've sinned because we have. Therefore, we need to be judged. Therefore, we're not good enough for God. Satan's main weapon was guilt. Yet we see in this passage that Jesus came to disarm Satan, came to disarm the devil, He did that through his own death. Because how would he take away our guilt and therefore disarm the devil? Well, by becoming a substitute. Uh, By taking away, by dying the death we deserve, he could take away our guilt so that there is now no condemnation. Only a human can substitute for human life. And therefore he did. He became fully human. He humbled himself in becoming a man and even in humbling himself to death. Verse 17 says, He had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. A high priest deals with sin. And how did Jesus deal with sin? Well, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Jesus made propitiation for the sins of the people when he died in our place. To propitiate is to turn away wrath, to turn away anger. And Jesus turned away the wrath that we deserve for our sin. Jesus turned away God's anger against sin because he took it all upon himself. God sent Jesus to take the punishment we deserve when he died on the cross As a human, when he was nailed up, when the maker of trees was nailed to a cross of wood, when the maker of flesh felt his flesh broken, when Jesus, made fully God, was able to die, well, he was taking the death that our sin deserves, making propitiation for it, so that all he died for, all who were in Christ, now completely forgiven. Our guilt has been taken away. Our sin has been atoned for. Why in Romans 8 verse 1, it says that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
Because Jesus, as a man, died the death we deserve. He made propitiation. And when propitiation has been made, when our guilt has been taken away, when there's no condemnation left, what did the devil have? He once pointed at us, if he once accused us, saying, you've got to be judged. Uh, You can't be in relationship with God. If God's taken away our sin, if we're not guilty, well, Satan's weapon has been taken away. Satan has been disarmed. Satan has been destroyed. Now, Satan is still at work in our world, though he's been defeated decisively at the cross. Uh, He's still uh, in his last breaths, tries to deceive. He still tells lies. Yet those lies are just that, lies. He'll accuse us, tell us that we can't be in relationship with God, yet we need to go back to the victory that Christ won because he disarmed the devil. He took away our sin and guilt when he paid for it in full. Satan may continue to try to lie, to deceive, yet his one true weapon, our guilt, has been taken away. Jesus became flesh. Jesus became one of us to disarm the devil uh, that we may be freed from fear. Because what keeps us in fear of death? It's not knowing what's on the other side. What keeps us in fear of death is not knowing. It's like, what's going to happen? Yet because of Jesus, those who trust in him can be completely sure. Though we may face death actually we know that we are facing a we will meet a father who has already accepted us in Christ though we may face death we don't live in uncertainty how will the day of judgment go because the day of judgment for all who are in Christ fell on Christ 2,000 years ago we need not fear death the devil has been disarmed because Jesus died our death made propitiation. And finally, we see that Jesus shared in our weakness well, to help us when tempted. Jesus came to say, God has not given up on humanity. Uh, Jesus came to free us from fear. Jesus came to pay for our sins. Jesus has given us eternal hope, knowing that when we die or when he returns, we will face our Father who welcomes us home. But how does that help us today? How does that help us today when we still struggle with sin? How does that help us today when we wake up tired? How does that help us today in our limited, as we, there's so much to do and not enough time? We're told in verse 18 that because Jesus himself has suffered when tempted, He's able to help those who are being tempted. He can help us. And there's several different ways he helps us. Because he suffered when tempted. He was a man and is a man. We need to remember there that Jesus was truly human. And so that as we seek to live our Christian lives in flesh and blood... As we seek to live for God and obey his commands when there's just not enough hours in the day, 
as we seek to love others when we're tired and we're getting worn down. We can remember that Jesus knows, Jesus sympathizes, Jesus helps. Jesus has been tired. Jesus knows what it is to be hungry. Jesus knows what it is to be misunderstood, to be betrayed by a friend. He's known suffering. So as we seek to follow him, we can cast ourselves on him because he knows. We shouldn't be ashamed that we can't do everything, that we can't finish our to-do lists. We shouldn't be ashamed that we can't actually get around to every person who we could help or who might want our help. We can seek to love and live like Jesus, knowing that he knows what it was to be limited. And we can be sure of that because Jesus is still truly human. Jesus didn't become a man for 33 years and then just ascend to God as a spirit. The one who sits at the right hand of God, interceding for us, praying for us, he's still a man with flesh and blood. The one praying to the Father for us, he's praying with a voice box and a tongue. Uh, The one who prays for us, the one who intercedes for us, the one through whom we pray, he knows what it is to be in one place at one time. He can help us when we suffer because he's been there. He knows what it is to be hurt. He knows what it is uh, to, in the course of his work, to hurt a finger, I'm sure. He knows what it is to be misunderstood by family and friends. So friends, as you seek to live for him, can know he understands. As you're called to follow him, you can follow one who knows you, who understands you, and is with you in your suffering. It also says that Jesus can help us when we're tempted. Because Jesus, though he was human in every way, though he was tempted, he was without sin. He overcame. as we know he's saved us from sin's penalty, we know he's helping us even today in our lives to be slowly freed from sin's presence. Now there might be a question you have, I've heard it a few times, when we're told that we should, sort of, we should, um, so, uh, uh, we should uh, avoid temptation because Jesus avoided temptation, that Jesus can help us when tempted. Some people think, wasn't Jesus cheating? If Jesus was still fully God, yet also fully man, wasn't he cheating when he, when he fought sin? Well, I want you to think, if, if you have any sort of knowledge of the Gospels, think back to when Jesus was tempted. If you read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll read that Jesus, especially as he was being tempted by Satan, he went out in the power of the Holy Spirit. While Jesus was fully God, 
Uh, He was also fully man. And as Jesus walked this earth, as he was ridiculed or hurt or tired, the way that he faced temptation and overcame, it was by the power of God's Holy Spirit which came upon him. So I guess you could say Jesus was cheating because he had the very Spirit of God helping him. But that means we're cheating too. Because Jesus, now he died, raised to life. Jesus has sent that same spirit on us. So we have the very spirit of the living God dwelling in us. All of us who trust in Jesus, helping us to live like Jesus, helping us to fight sin, helping us to trust God. So if Jesus was cheating, well, so are we. You think again, back to Jesus being tempted by Satan in the wilderness. How was it that Jesus uh, resisted the devil's lies? It was with the word of God, wasn't it? So in a way, Jesus was cheating because he had God's very words. If Satan told a lie, he could pick up God's word and say, no, that's not true. God's word says something different. But if Jesus was cheating, then so are we, because we have God's word, just as sure, just as true, just as powerful as we seek to live for Jesus and fight sin. Satan might throw lies at us, yet we have God's word. So let's look to God's word. Let's fight temptation with God's word. Let's know that Jesus, God's promises to us are powerful and true and can help us as we fight sin. And when Jesus was overwhelmed, so many things to do. When Jesus was tired, what did Jesus do? Well, he prayed. Might guess again, maybe Jesus was cheating. If cheating means you can go straight to your heavenly father and ask him for help in your weakness. But we cheat in the same way. Uh, We're told that because Jesus himself suffered when tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus became one of us. Jesus is one of us. Jesus has given us a new way to be human. To be human no longer means that we're stuck in sin and condemnation and death and fear. Because Jesus came and lived that perfect life, we can be counted as those who are in Christ. And as those in Christ, we can know he lived that perfect life we couldn't live to restore our relationship with God. Because we are in Christ. Jesus died the death we deserve so that there is no more punishment. There is no more guilt. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And as Jesus lived for us and died for us, well, he helps us now. He knows our weakness. He knows what it's like to be tired and limited He knows what it's like to be hurt and misunderstood. He knows what it's like to struggle to hear people in a crowded room. Yet he is helping us uh, to live for him. We can live for him by his spirit, by his word, as we go to our heavenly father in prayer. I'm sure that as Jesus lived for us and died for us, as Jesus became one of us, all that we who trust in him are now one with him. 
So if you haven't put your faith in Jesus, if for you being human still means like uncertainty, what will I face on that day of judgment? Will I be okay or will I have done enough? Invite you even today to put your trust in Jesus. Repent of your sins. But praise Jesus that he lived for you, that he died for you. And that when you trust in him, you'll no longer be in Adam, but you'll be united to Christ. So that his perfect life becomes your perfect life. His saving death becomes yours. And so that his future and his hope will become yours. You ask Jesus to forgive you, make you his own. You'll answer that prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you uh, for Jesus. Thank you that even in these coming weeks, uh, we can remember, we can reflect, we can rejoice that you came near to us in Christ. So Father, as we look to Christ, we pray that you would refresh, renew our hope. As we look to Christ, we pray that we would rejoice in the victory as one over the devil, in the hope that he has given us for eternal life. We pray that you would strengthen us, that we would fight sin, knowing that uh, we fight with the help of one who has shared in our weakness, yet did not sin, who was tempted, yet did not sin. Father, since we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, Let us hold fast our confession. We do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, Father, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in the time of need. In Jesus' good and great name that we pray. Amen.